Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, a collection of online career tools available to help graduates make a solid plan for their future, and it's free. Elisa Nelson is with Leanne Taylor-Knight with the DeBruce Foundation in Kansas City about the Graduation Toolkit. The Graduation Toolkit is DeBruce Foundation's gift to the class of 2023. It is a collection of online career tools to help high school and college graduates identify their top work skills, explore in-demand job opportunities, and make a solid plan for their future. How long has this thing been around? This is actually a gift from the years of COVID. So we started this in 2020, Elisa, and it was in that, at those times we were thinking, what do we need to give to gra graduates? What can we do in this time? And so we came up with this online toolkit and we're able to begin doing it and are now in 2023 still doing it. Well, one of my questions was going to be what inspired you to come up with this graduation toolkit now. Um, anything else that you want to expand on there? Yeah, we have DeBruce Career Corps members who are high school and college age and early career individuals who advise the work of the DeBruce Foundation. And as we were in that spring of 2020, they were talking with us about how so many things had gone away from them for in terms of internships and just the way that they would be able to celebrate their graduation. And we wanted to really, you know, switch the tide on that and say, you know, there is something that we can do. We can do this for our graduates. So is there a cost? No, it is completely free. And in about 15 minutes or less, the Agile Work Profiler is one of the assessments that's in it. And it provides the individual with a ranked list of their strengths and interests, which we call their agilities. And that helps them understand how they can be used in the workforce today. Okay, so it um, sounds like then it's it's not time consuming to at least get the ball rolling on this. It's very easy to get the ball rolling and it is free because it's our charitable mission where we're committed to expanding pathways to economic growth and opportunity, Elisa. So uh, I'm curious specifically about this year's graduates. Uh, why do you think the graduation toolkit is especially important to this year's graduates? I think this year's graduates are um, entering an economy that continues to be dynamic. Some of the research that we have uncovered at the foundation has shown us what it takes to be employment empowered in this dynamic economy. And those two things are career literacy and network strength. And the graduation toolkit is a way for an individual to increase their career literacy because they start to think about what is it they do well and how they can market themselves into the career marketplace. Okay. The term career literacy and network strength, I, until you explained it there, I'm like, what does that mean? So... Um, so that's good to know, kind of uh, breaking that down, what that means there. What else do you think is important for Missouri's high school and college graduates to know about the graduation toolkit? Well, 
it has um, three particular parts to it. So the first is the Agile Work Profiler. Again, that quick 15-minute um, assessment that just has you talk about what you like to do and what you do well, and the intersection of those being agilities. What That's what we call agilities, work activities used in every single job in the economy. The second piece of it allows them to use five different career explorer tools that would help them understand um, their the in-demand job opportunities and how much you can make in a career and where you might want to seek um, finding that career. And then the third piece of it is what's called draw your future. And it allows the individual to really draw or think about, write about what's my current reality? What's the desired reality? So now that I'm graduating, what do I do next? And then make three bold steps in order to get from your current reality to your new reality. And that's done in partnership with Patty Drobovolsky, who is a graphic artist, and she takes you through a drawing exercise to actually do that. Now, does the toolkit, does it help graduates to increase their annual salary? Let's say if, uh, does it kind of take them on that pathway? And does it talk about some of the different like salaries for the different professions, that sort of thing? It does, Elisa. In a recent study that we did, we found that individuals who were rated higher in this career literacy and network strength, they earn 55% more in annual salary, 26% more of them are currently employed, and they will consider 17% more jobs outside of their career path. Well, the resources in the graduation toolkit help you build your career literacy. And all of you who are listening are a part of helping grads in your life build a strong network. That's why it really matters not only for the graduates, but any of you who have um, kids and grandkids, nieces, nephews, people in your church who are graduating, they just need that extra little boost and a few tools. And these are all free that you can simply send to them and say, hey, I care about you and um, I want you to have this gift. All right. The DeBruce Foundation, a national nonprofit foundation based in Kansas City, offers the graduation toolkit. Leanne Taylor-Knight with the foundation joined Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. So who is using the toolkit? Is it mainly Missouri graduates or is it, uh, is it just, and tell me like uh, the reach so far. Most certainly. So our reach is across the nation. However, in terms of Missouri folks, we already have partners such as Mizzou and UMKC. They have been early leaders in sharing this resource with this, their students this year and, and other years. And again, anyone who has a high school graduate or college graduate in your life can share the graduation toolkit with them by helping them affirm their value and explore their options and make informed career decisions, you're actually helping them start a fantastic career. So anyone across the state, but really anyone across the nation. Uh, I'm curious what has, tell me about some of the uh, most helpful features of the toolkit you think. I believe one of the most helpful 
features of the toolkit is the Agile Work Profiler. It's our free online assessment that in just 15 minutes or less, Elisa, it provides you with a ranked list of your strengths and interests, which we call your agilities, as they relate to the workforce. And with that ranked list, you actually get a little video about each one of those. You get a PDF with words that you can use on your resume and tips for actually enhancing your resume, your LinkedIn profile, and even being able to do that elevator speech or share when you get into an interview with an individual where you're trying to land a job. Mm -hmm. um, do you happen to know how many uh, folks have used the toolkit yet at this point in time? Well, thousands of people have used it across the years that we have had it in play. And we have over 120,000 who have used the Agile Work Profiler, the tool that I just shared about. So that is an assessment that has been used wide and far and is one part of this graduation toolkit. I mean, how does that make you feel that it's reached so many people um, since you've got this thing rolled out? Well, it warms my heart. And on behalf of Paul DeBruce, our founder, our board, and our team here, Elisa, we really care about helping individuals see that they have value and that they have more career options than they maybe even realize. So it warms our hearts to be able to think about how we can expand career pathways and help people be on that positive trajectory for their lifetime. So how can people find out more information if they're interested in the graduation toolkit? Oh, it's super easy. Our website is debruce.org and they can access the graduation toolkit for free by visiting debruce.org slash grad gift. Show me the day. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids opens the door for every Missourian to make a difference in the fight against hunger in our state. All proceeds are dedicating to feeding Missouri's network food banks who work daily to alleviate hunger. Visit MOFarmersCare.com drive to learn more and join the effort. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day. Among children, the numbers are even higher. To ensure Missouri children have the food they need to thrive, Missouri's agricultural community launched Drive to Feed Kids six years ago. Visit MoFarmersCare.com drive to learn more and join the efforts. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day, and among children, the numbers are even higher. The Drive to Feed Kids Hogs for Hunger program gives Missouri pig farmers and 4-H and FFA swine exhibitors the opportunity to address hunger in their communities by committing pigs locally or at the Missouri State Fair. One pig can feed more than 500 Missourians in need. Learn how you can participate at mofarmerscare.com drive. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, right, come here. 
Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today. The Missouri Department of Revenue chose to make it more convenient for CDL holders to fulfill certification requirements. Anthony Morbeth talks with Missouri Trucking Association's Tom Crawford on his response and what this means. All of the requirements are still the same. Truck, truck drivers have to get the same qualifications, the same certifications, the same testing and everything like that. What happens with the truck drivers, you get your license for six years, but you're Medical certification is an annual, and so annually, CDL holders have to go in. If they're in interstate commerce and, and have the, the CDL, they have to go in annually and get, get a, you know, go see their doctor, make sure they're able to drive, qualified to drive, continue driving. So that process, after you do that, you have to let the, the department, the state, know that you passed your test and you can keep driving. And so what has happened in the past is you had to go back to a DMV office and, and show up with the proper forms and paperwork and give it to the teller and they would run it through and you pay your $6 or whatever the number was. I think it's changed over the years a little bit, but you, you pay your money and they say, yep, we've got your medical certification. You're good to go. And so you do that a few times during the, you know, the, the, the regular public's out there, you've got a six-year license, you don't have to see them again for six years. The CDL holder has to see them annually so, or, or biannually, depending on the, the process or the length of time that the doctor signed off on. So what the CDL holders got during the pandemic was um, a waiver where they could just send that document, that, that paperwork in, um, and the department would certify it electronically. So you didn't have to go into a DMV office and, and present the paperwork at the at the desk. And so the process that we we've been working on with the department and we actually got a bill through the legislature this year saying, hey, you've got to do it this way now is allowing those that paperwork to be done electronically, either through fax or through email or something along those lines where, where the drivers don't have to go in and do that in the office. So I wanted to be clear with you um, that the, the certifications, the documentation, none of that has really changed. Just the manner in which you can provide it to them um, has, uh, has changed a little bit. They've added a form to do electronically just to tie everything together and give them some back office 
capabilities to match up what's coming in. Um, but the certifications, the testing, and all that stuff still has stayed the same. It's just a matter of can you do it virtually or electronically, or do you, or can you go in person? You still have that same in person. You can go to a a license office and do it in person if you want. Um, the option that the department and and we're very pleased and appreciative that they've allowed it is allowing them to to do it through email or fax or some other um, digital transmission. I'm glad you brought that up. We're talking with Tom Crawford with the Missouri Trucking Association. If you're tuning in late or want to hear more, you can listen to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, is this a good first step in the right direction? Uh, we believe it. We believe it is. It's been something that we've been trying to get um, a little bit more modern process, if you will. Um, and so in, in working with the department, we understand some of the limitations and, and quite frankly, the, the antiquated software that they, or excuse me, the hardware that they have to work with in, in their department. So we're sympathetic to that, but uh, by the same token, you know, the, the world's moving on. And so um we're willing to give them some some grace time and some some uh, um, you know some some we'll we'll continue wait a little bit but I think this was a really good effort on their part to um, have it a little more customer service friendly and I, I applaud the department for moving in that direction. So in regards to this uh, these changes that were made through the Department of Revenue. Um, I, I would have to assume, and I'm going to forward this question to you, I would have to assume that a lot of other states either currently are or in the process of amending these changes for CDL drivers, uh, not just in Missouri, right? Yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely not uh, the first to get this done. Several states have had this capability already. Um a lot of states do it several different ways. Um, we're taking the process that we had and trying to uh, help bring it up a little more uh, customer service friendly. And I, I think the department's doing a, a good job and moving in the right direction. We're we're hopeful and expecting um, some new. You know, they've they've got a, a process in place to kind of make these changes and, and have some wholesale changes at the department as it relates to computerization. Um, in the coming year or two, and that's going to be the final, and it'll, it'll be even slicker than it is right now. This this step is, um, you know, a little bit cobbled together, if you will, but it's something that from the, the CDL holder side is going to be better to, you know, again, you can still go in the office if you want to to give them that medical certification card, but you now have the option to do that electronically and not have to go to the office. So um, that's a that's a big plus. And seeing as how I have it here, I'm going to ask this question because I feel it's worth uh, highlighting for our listening audience. Uh, and this is kind of a multi-tiered question here. A, how many CDL holders uh, do uh, are there here in Missouri, if you have that offhand? And, and, and secondly, how many did you actually hear from who uh, discussed this, both for and against? For me, we're, we're well in excess of 100,000 um, CDL holders in Missouri. Um, as far as the, the folks, um, it's been uh, it, it's been a topic that's been discussed, quite frankly, um, for a decade or so. And I think if you would have uh, some former 
chairs of the Missouri House, I think, during their tenure, um, uh, former chair Becky Ruth, uh, the story she would tell in committee about four or five years ago was of being at the office, uh, excuse me, one of the DMV offices, um, you know, getting a, a plate or something for one of her trailers. And she saw a couple of gentlemen sitting in there and they were just waiting in line to give them a piece of paper to do their medical certifications. And uh, she goes, that seems ridiculous. And they go, yep. <laughs> so it's been one of the things that, okay, this is this is just the process that's been in place since the beginning. And um, I think as the, as, as the economy's moved quicker, as, you know, you see more folks out there now, I think everybody kind of looks at their phone and goes, man, I do so much of what I'm doing digitally. Why, why do I have to walk into an office somewhere and, and give them a piece of paper? Can't, can't I email that to you? Can't I do something with it um, electronically? And so that's, you know, you, you reach a point where you're like, this is crazy. And I think, you know, from a personal standpoint, during the pandemic, when we saw the governor issue a bunch of executive orders and emergency declarations, and when I saw the emergency declaration waiving this, you know, having to go in and, and submit this, I, I told some of my staff, I said, hey, we just won. It's just a matter of when the chips are going to fall because folks aren't going to want to go back where you can't do it electronically. And so to the to the department's credit, they realized that as well and worked hard to try to come up with a process. It's not perfect by any means. We've already kind of run into some wrinkles with some folks, but the department's uh, got a good mindset and, and a customer service mindset, which, um, you know, we've, we've needed for a while. So we're, we're looking forward to better things and better days ahead. Any closing comments before we let you go? No, I appreciate you having me on and getting the word out again. Uh, you can continue to do it. If you like to go into the DMV office, you're welcome to go. If you don't, there's a process in place. You can do it electronically. And for more information on CDL requirements, visit the Missouri Department of Revenue's website. And this is Tom Crawford with the Missouri Trucking Association here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. 
Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Artificial intelligence, virtual reality, uh, it's the new world that we're starting to live in, and uh, and even augmented reality. Well, the University of Missouri is conducting some experiments using AI to check on people who experience cyber sickness in environments such as virtual reality and augmented reality. And here to talk about some of those studies and testing is Professor Kaza Hawk. Uh, thank you for joining us. I know about virtual reality. What is augmented reality? So in a virtual reality, your environment is fully virtual, right? So whatever you see, everything is made up. For example, if you're trying to experience a game, so if in the game you have a beach, you can see the beach that is not real, which is made up, right? Yeah. In augmented reality, you actually augment the reality that you see. For example, if you're wearing a glass, that your doctor has prescribed you, uh, that can actually work with some devices as augmented reality. So for instance, uh, a very easy example can be the heads-up display that you can see in the new cars like Honda, uh, which actually shows you what is the speed limit, right? right. So that is a augmenting the reality with some sort of text. Now, if you think about the augmented reality devices, that can also augment the reality that you see 
and overlay with some more information, some more objects that can be text, that can be objects, that can be so many different things. So exposure to these type of realities uh, can cause people uh, cyber sickness. Um, so is that very similar to, to being car sick? Do you get the same dizzy and sick to your stomach type of symptoms? It's, it's very similar to that one, but not exactly the same. So in comparison, the cyber sickness actually can stay more, quite longer than the motion sickness that you can get in car. Uh, and typically, it doesn't mean that if you are trying to enjoy a game over the VR or AR, you will be always having cyber sickness. That is not true. But it, it actually depends on what type of application you're using. If that application has a lot of motion involved, such as games, then there is a higher chances that you'll be feeling cyber sickness. The symptoms are very same as the motion sickness, and the cyber sickness also depends on other factors. For example, if you have any prior experience in VR or AR, if you have uh, a specific skill set, it might be due to your age, uh, your gender, and so many other things. So let's say if you and I, we both are trying to play a game, I might get cyber sick, but you might not. Yeah. 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 That's uh, I, I mean, I see uh, I see on TikTok people will have these virtual reality goggles that they will put on and uh, and their family is, you know, shooting some video of them and they become disoriented and they'll slam into a cabinet. They'll slam into a wall. They kind of lose their they kind of lose their their outside their reality reality surroundings uh is that right. is that part of cyber sickness too yes yeah and that has really become a problem right because vr and ar is very very popular however due to the cyber sickness it makes all the exciting applications very much unusable to in many cases right so that is a big problem and that's why you see that for last maybe 15 years, people have been working to deal with cyber sickness. Uh, in my research group, recently, we are also working on detecting and mitigating cyber sickness. Uh, and in contrast to the existing works, we try to use the explainable AI. Uh, the good thing about explainable AI is we already know that AI is very good at predicting things, right? But if you are trying to use explainable AI, it can tell you actually that if it predicts something, what is the reason behind that? And that is actually very important when you are in VR or AR environment, because as I mentioned earlier, cyber sickness is not a generic thing for everyone, right? So I might be getting cyber sickness first from a simulation, and the same simulation might not trigger cyber sickness in someone else. So if a developer is trying to develop a simulation or a game or educational content, he really needs to know that what are the features that can actually cause the cyber sickness so that he can fine tune his design. From user's perspective, sometimes if you and I both are playing a game, then we need to know actually what are the exact features from me or you, which is actually uh, detecting the cyber sickness uh, from the AI model. Because if you cannot accurately predict cyber sickness, then you cannot mitigate that as well, right? So a prerequisite of mitigation is to detect it first and then apply the mitigation. 
MU Professor Kaza Hawk is joining us. We're talking about cyber sickness that's associated with virtual reality and augmented reality. And, and you talk about using AI. Uh, and we're seeing so much in the news about how AI, um, if used the wrong way, can be dangerous. And, and you know, I mean, this, AI is coming into so many different categories. So explain, explain how AI works for, for this. So, you know, there are tons of different ways for detecting cyber sickness, but the recent trend has been to use the AI because everyone is using AI. It's so good at predicting things. So if you're wearing a VR headset, it has a lot of sensors built in. So the way it works is it tries to obtain the data from different sensors and try to see if you are about to get a cyber sickness and it can actually alert you. So we are trying to develop a system that is not only based on AI, but it is actually based on explainable AI. So it does not only tell you that you are about to get cyber sick, but it also tells you that why the AI thinks that you might get cyber sick. So the reason is actually built in in the technology of explainable AI. Uh, there are two more added advantage that we have noticed recently where we were using to explainable AI. First one is, if you are using explainable AI, then when you develop the new games or new stuffs, you actually know what are the important stuffs that can help you a lot to reduce the size of these models. As we all know that these headsets are actually taking a lot of resources, right? If you can actually reduce the size of these AI models that helps you to run these models, AI models on those headsets with less time and less resource. There's one benefit. And another benefit recently we have noticed is once you actually pinpoint that why you are about to get cyber sick, then based on the explanation, you can actually apply a different sort of mitigation without hampering the user experience. And which is, I think, a very new and noble thing that we are trying to accomplish here. Uh, Kaza, is there, are there factors such as... Um... A uh, person's eyesight, uh, the amount of sleep they get, uh, their type of diet, what type of health they're in. Do, do those things play a part in cyber sickness from what you've learned so far? That's a great question. Some of those are, actually, because if you are already tired and then you have been immersed to a virtual reality, there are higher chances that you might actually get cyber sick uh, compared to the other people. So there are a lot of other factors as age, what is your age, gender, the amount of uh, rest you have already taken, and so on. And there is a lot of uh, teams in different universities with, uh, with doctors who are actually working on this type of experiment. From our perspective, we are actually AI people, so we are trying to understand what are the factors and how actually to predict cyber sickness ahead of time and how to do it more accurately virtual reality it's uh, it's amazing uh, how fast we're progressing and uh, we certainly appreciate your work and everything that you're doing professor kaza hawk thank you so much for your time thank you thank you very much i enjoy talking with you this is show me today the voice of missouri if i could be you and you could be me for just one hour if you could find a way to get inside each other's mind Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. 
And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Many business owners and entrepreneurs today are drowning in unsecured debt and just can't stop incurring more. Business Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program where you will receive support for doing business and living life without incurring new unsecured debt. Business Debtors Anonymous offers meetings every day where members support one another to help them stop incurring new unsecured debt. You're not alone. Visit HelpForDebtors.org. That's HelpForDebtors.org. AA made all the difference in my life. I noticed that most of the goals I had as a kid were slipping by. I didn't feel like the person I hoped to be. After all those years of drinking, I, I really didn't know myself. When I was out there drinking, I was always looking for the next great party to make me feel all right. With AA, I found a better way of life. And I feel good in my everyday life, even without a drink in my hand. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, could potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. One Choice is the latest health standard in the battle against drug abuse. Today, Dave Clawson talks to addiction psychiatrist and vice president of the Institute for Behavior and Health, Dr. Caroline DuPont from the Pathways to Prevention podcast. Teens and adults that care about them need to know that this one choice of no use of any alcohol, nicotine, marijuana, or other drugs is a realistic goal and that many teens are already making that choice. Let's just jump right into one choice. What is one choice? When we talk about one choice, you might be wondering, why is it called that? We haven't really focused on that, what that means yet. And and what we mean by that is that for teens, all substance use is related. And really what it boils down to is a choice whether to be someone who chooses to use drugs or chooses not to use drugs. So our one choice message is just this comprehensive, no use of any alcohol, marijuana, nicotine, or other drugs under the age of 21 for reasons of health. And so as I just explained, 
we list out those things to make sure we're all on the same page. If you want to say, why don't you just say drug-free? I'm, I'm all for that. I love drug-free, but it's important to make sure that we're all saying the same thing. The second component of this one choice is the health standard that Bob was talking about. We have a lot of health standards we talk to young people about that we're really comfortable with. We talk about it all the time, like always wear your bike helmet, wear your seatbelt, eat healthy food. And we don't kind of hesitate to have those standards because they're based in science, because there's a lot of data that shows that those things are important. And it turns out we have also a lot of data and science that shows that it's really important for youth not to use any of those substances during the time that their brain is developing. So the first component of one choice is this developing brain. And the developing brain is something that is a continu continually developing from birth through the, about the mid-20s. The brain is many different parts of it are continuing to develop and grow and change. And that means that anything that happens to that brain during those years can have like a really big negative impact on that person. And so if you're worried about the present, like right now it could harm them, but it could also harm them in their future in terms of their, their future well-being, for example, their educational attainment or their future career even. And so we think about brain protection when we think about concussion pro protocols, but we also can think about it in terms of substance use, which also can really powerfully impact that developing brain. So I got to tell you a couple things that have jumped out at me already from this conversation is framing prevention as that new health standard coming at it from that angle. Like this is just, this is about health, not about norms or fitting in perceived norms, misperceptions. It's just a health standard that's based on data. And you had pointed out too that youth are already making this choice. They're already leading this, this effort establishing one choice as a health standard. I want to go back to also to what we were talking about. Cause, cause when, when Caroline outlined what we're talking about, we're talking about no use of alcohol, nicotine, marijuana and other drugs for reasons of health until the age of 21. Everybody uses, as Caroline said, they're drug-free, but they don't specify what it is and they don't specify that age. And, and they don't do those things because they don't want to run into the conflicts that are there. They want to have an easier path. We haven't picked the easier path. We've picked the harder path, the clearer path, the one that's unambiguous. And a lot of people in prevention have gotten along for a long time. They'll say that just delay the onset. The goal of prevention is to delay the onset. Well, what does that mean from 13 to 14? You know, what are we talking about? The use of it. And so what we've done is sort of go right at the heart and say, no, it's all one thing. And it does have to do with 21. It's not 18. It's not 16. It's 21. And I think that 21 is really interesting because 21 comes from where it's legal, right? All of these substances are illegal under the ages of 21. So that's the law. Sometimes people are a little confused by that because 
people will say to me things like, well, marijuana is legal in my state now. And I'm like, yeah, it's not legal for recreational use under the age of 21. It wasn't a carte blanche, illegal for everything and for everyone. And that age 21 is really helpful. It's it's matches very well with the brain development that I was talking about. The brain development actually might set that age at 25 because that brain will continue to develop. But 21 is the law and it's a good one for us to stick with and to say, if we can protect that brain until the age of 21, that is a really healthy thing for this person. The other thing I wanted to say about that health standard point, which I think is really important, is a health standard is not a purity test. It's not like I didn't wear my bike helmet today, so I can't wear my bike helmet tomorrow. Well, that makes no sense at all. Of course, you can always choose to do a healthy thing. And I think a lot of us adults can think about like how many times we've reinvigorated our health goals, like I'm going to exercise regularly or I'm going to eat healthier foods. That That's a process. A health standard is a process of trying to improve and protect ourselves and to protect our health for the future. And that's the way this is as well, so that someone who might have used in the past could still make the choice not to use now for reasons of health in order to protect that developing brain. And so what we're giving them is the information about the developing brain so that people can make healthy choices to protect themselves. Because we can tell kids all the information in the world, but at some point, they're out in the world themselves. They're with their friends. They're at a party. They're in an unexpected situation. And they're going to be offered something or have the opportunity to use something. And they have to already have some core information about how to handle a situation like that. You're not there with them, you as the parent or as their teacher or their physician or, or whoever the well-meaning adult you are in that kid's life. You're not with them when they need to make that choice for themselves. And so them thinking, I'm going to always wear my seatbelt. I'm going to wear my bike helmet, even though rental scooters you know, don't come with them. I'm not going to make that choice. Or I'm going to choose not to use any of these substances because I'm protecting my brain. Another way to think about this is that substance use disorders are actually pediatric onset diseases. So when we talk about prevention, I often kind of stop people and say, wait, what are we trying to prevent? And different people are trying to prevent different things. Some people are trying to prevent overdoses, and some people are trying to prevent road deaths from alcohol use or drugged driving. But often people are trying to prevent substance use disorders. And we think about substance use disorders usually as adult illnesses. But in fact, nine out of 10 people with substance use disorder will start using substances before the age of 18. And sadly, usually like way before the age of 18. And we have really important data that shows that the earlier the use and also the more the use is, the more likely it is that that person will develop a substance use disorder and also have other bad outcomes. And I mentioned that before, that early substance use is associated with things like poor educational attainment. And that's going to have a lifelong impact on that person. And the way we figured that out was by looking at this big national data. We looked at the data from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. This is nationally collected data that's communities all across the country. They looked at 17,000 youth from the ages of 12 to 17, and they collect lots and lots of data. That's not our data, but that data is available for other people to use. And the Institute for Behavior and Health looked at that data and asked of that data a different question. 
And we asked a question that hadn't been looked at before. We asked, is the use of one substance by adolescents associated with the increased risk for using any other substance, regardless of sequence? So if you use one drug, are you likely to use other drugs? And what we found was, wow, yes, that is, turns out to be a gold mine of information. We can look at it, and we will, with several different drugs, but I want to just remind us that we're talking about youth. And for youth, the three most common drugs are alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana. So those are the questions that we asked. So we took that data of that 17,000 youth, 12 to 17, and we divided it into two groups. The people who said, yes, in the past month, they used marijuana. Nothing about quantity or anything like that. Just, yes, I used marijuana in the past month. And the other group of 12 to 17-year-olds were people who said, no, I did not use any marijuana in the past month. And that's the only distinction between these two groups of people that we looked at. And then we looked at within those groups, the people who did not use any marijuana and the people that did, and we saw how much of other drugs did they use? Did they drink alcohol? Did they use nicotine? And did they use other drugs? And what we saw was if they said, no, I didn't use any marijuana in the past month, then their risk of using other substances was really low. So if you look at it as a bar graph, they're these little teeny bars because they were very unlikely to use other drugs. But when you looked at that a second group, which is the 12 to 17-year-olds who said, yes, I did use marijuana in the past month, the bars are much bigger. They're much more likely to be using alcohol, to be using nicotine, and to be using other drugs. And they're really dramatically more likely to use alcohol in the scary ways that we worry about with kids, like binge drinking, which is five or more drinks in one setting, or heavy alcohol use, which is repeat binge drinking. So there's this very clear correlation between the use of marijuana and the use of all those other substances. If they're drinking or they're smoking, they're also likely to be using these other substances. And all of that is going to have that impact on that developing brain. You can get tools and strategies to talk to young people in your life at talkaboutitmo.com. Talkaboutitmo.com. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wrapping things up here on Show Me Today. If you uh, missed or came in late on one of the segments and you want to catch the entire show or just uh, particular segments, just find our podcast on Apple. Search Show Me Today. Glad you've been with us. Thanks for listening. Show Me Today.